What's, What's up, up everybody? everybody? Super excited about this show, you guys. It's an awesome, awesome show. Um, but just real quick, um, just want to tell you how you can support the show. So probably one of the best ways you can do it is go to truthtrs.com. Uh, truthtrs.com. TRS is a uh, uh, odorless, tasteless spray. You spray in your mouth a couple times a day and it just eliminates all the heavy metals and environmental toxins out of your body. You're going to feel great. You're going to feel rejuvenated. You're going to feel clear, focused. Um, there's so many testimonials about uh, childhood vaccine injuries. Yeah. Getting cured and just so many things like like parasites, like just you name it, uh, it's it's gonna it's gonna brain kill. fog, depression, anxiety, yeah. yep. huge. I yep. mean, it's kids, crazy kids that with, it uh, speech speech problems getting yes. their speech yep. back. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So if you follow them on Instagram at TruthTRS, they're always uploading testimonials and stuff. It's just just ah, uh, it blows my mind. Like I use it, we all use it. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's our kids amazing use it, stuff. our kids extended use families it. use it. Pets, your pets, yes. use my it. pets use yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yes, safe for pets, safe for infants, safe for pregnant women, safe for everybody. My pregnant daughter has been taking it. Yes, right from the beginning. Guys, you can't go wrong. So Absolutely. again, great way to support your health and the Truth TR or and the Truth Zilla podcast. TruthTRS.com. There you also, go. All right, guys. So also while you're on Instagram, go give our friend Cody. Cody. Cody a follow at Cody's Crystals or C-O-D-Y-S underscore crystals. He's got an awesome little gem crystal collection. He does his live streams or he shows you his collections and, and um, it's just an amazing, amazing way to, to support uh, a listener of the show. You guys like Cody's got the, Cody's got the hookup. If you he need a crystal really uh, coming up, uh, if you need a nice, like uh, it's Christmas time it's coming up, time, it's, it's like, gifty time. It's, you know, yep. it's that time of the year. Yep. 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 So check out Cody's Chris underscore crystals on Instagram or a good skull for Halloween. Yeah. I'm going to tell you my nine-year-old every time we watch his lives, he's like, okay, do we, are we going to make a list of the ones that I want? Are you going to think about getting these <laughs> ones for me? Like he has like this whole like wish list. With he's got quite a collection. I was in his he, room the other day. He's got the master collection. Yes. That's so awesome. <laughs> so. That's so awesome. All right. Also, you guys, uh, make sure you check out Modern Retro Radio. Yes. Our friend Audis over Audis. Modern Retro. Hi, Audis. What's up, Audis? Anyway, so modernretroradio.com or modernretrofm.com or uh, Modern Retro Radio on the TuneIn app, okay? So it's a just a 24-hour streaming uh, uh, radio station. Listen to it on the go. Listen to it uh, if you get burnt out with podcasts, which happens every now and then. Go throw on some Modern Retro Radio. Of course, we know they're not burned down in the truth. Zillow podcast. No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. So, uh, yeah, modernretroradio.com. That's uh, the modern songs by classic artists and all kinds of other songs in between yeah, so pretty fantastic actually yep, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah dig it so um if you guys are looking for a good t-shirt or good hoodie for the winter coming up here make sure you go to truezilla.org forward slash shirts get yourself a nice truezilla shirt first edition well, we're going to be innovating and moving in a different direction so time is running out on getting your first edition truezilla t-shirts um you know there'll be a day where like those are not gonna you're gonna be like whoa you got one of the first edition someday when we're doing our big <laughs> our big meetups right like like a big like like and, and those of you that My are on the inner circle ups. that have one of the, the I think Craig was the first one. Craig, Craig has yep. the first short first Shout edition. Shout out to Craig anyway. Pedro 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 has a, one and of the Chaney. first edition. Cheney has a one. So you guys like if you want to get in with the in crowd to get one of the first edition Truzilla shirts, truzilla.org forward slash shirts. Best designs in the business. I love it. And, and uh, they are the best designs. Yep, yep, yep. Got more coming, guys. More coming. Pretty, pretty. And we are pretty, working pretty with good. a fantastic, fantastic local embroidery business, Maribel's Embroidery. Um, I'm wearing one of them now where is it and the whole back is embroidered but she does really really phenomenal work she's a fantastic human so we're going to start streamlining um, some products especially like our hats and maybe some select um, hoodies through her and we're going to set it up so you guys can order in a more streamlined way yeah i just need to figure out how to do that on the website but we'll figure it out but But anyway yeah it's pretty fantastic yep yep and last thing if you guys just want to do like a value for value donation truthzilla.org forward slash donate we've got crypto like bitcoin paypal cash app all that good stuff um buymeacoffee.com is a good way to do a monthly reoccurring donation or another way to do that too is on Patreon. So 
Patreon.com forward slash Truezilla. Uh, we upload the uh, audio versions of our weekly Clown Town update. But if you want the full, 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 full Truezilla experience, you go to rockfin.com. Forward Rockfin.com forward slash Truezilla. Yes. Okay. That's where we do our weekly uh, Clown Town update live streams. So we're actually live. You can chat with us while we're doing it. And we just break down all the clownish nonsense news of the week. I almost crawled under the table when you said that out. What was that? You're like, oh, you can talk to us. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, you can chat with us out loud. Yeah, you know, it's great. It's great. It's great. And uh, um, and it's a lot of fun. We say things that we normally can't say on the air because it's premium Rockfin exclusive. So there you go. So you guys, a uh, bunch of different ways to support the show. We couldn't do it without you. Um, this show in particular, this episode in particular, I would say, like, if you're gonna, a great way to support the show is just share it. Share it out yeah, with your please. friends. Um, give us five star ratings on iTunes. Uh, like, share, subscribe, all that fun stuff. But just make sure that this episode in particular gets out in front of as many eyeballs and eardrums as you possibly can. Yeah, all right, absolutely. And give us five star reviews on the sound quality, please. Yes. Our sound. <laughs> yes. Exactly. exactly. Two two out of the three mics sound awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is my mic the one that doesn't sound awesome, Ed? Am I? That's all right. That's all right. And there, there, was no, there wasn't as many. There wasn't as many uh, water bottle clicking sounds in this oh, episode. Oh, you know. So. Well, um, <laughs> someone, one, someone smacked that chair over there scott oh i did i did smack the chair okay at one point i realized i was starting to fiddle with the cord and i could hear it in my ears and i was like oh my gosh i know scott's gonna be looking at me in half a second this i was touching this oh that thing yes as soon as i touch it i heard it in my ears and i stopped so see now you now we know that's a great way all right guys enjoy the show enjoy the show Welcome to Truthzilla. I am Megan sitting here with Scott and Ed. Hello. Our guest today is Dr. Peter McCullough, an internist, cardiologist, and an epidemiologist who is an academic medical practice in Dallas, Texas. He is the leading expert on early COVID treatment, courageously informing the public about vaccine risk and providing information that the establishment is desperately trying to keep you from knowing. His list of accomplishments is extensive, including 51 peer-reviewed studies, testifying in front of the U.S. Senate, and is the chief medical advisor of the Truth for Health Foundation. Dr. McCullough, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today, and welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a busy day of calls and more COVID in clinical practice, both among the vaccinated and unvaccinated who are contracting COVID-19. Interesting. Yeah, it's just, uh, oh, man. So before we get into it, can you just give our listeners just a little bit, if they haven't heard of you, which I would, I'd be surprised, but could you just give us a little bit of background um, and, and what brought you into this fight? Well, I'm from Texas. Originally, I went to college and medical school. I went to Baylor undergrad and then UT Southwestern, finished uh, kind of top of the class. I went on to University of Washington in Seattle, uh, trained in medicine, University of Michigan, trained in epidemiology, and then on to uh, William Beaumont Hospital and trained in cardiology. Uh, so I had been a chronic disease researcher, heart and kidney disease, and uh, had built really quite a base. We had made innovations with respect to in vitro diagnostics and medical therapeutics. But when COVID-19 hit, I saw that this was, in a sense, a medical call to action. And we needed the best and brightest to dive into this and really face the virus. We needed doctors with intellectual uh, courageousness and intellectual capacity to face the virus. And my contribution has been uh, to organize uh, uh, doctors and to really come up with a treatment approach of how to treat COVID-19 to prevent hospitalization and death. And as it turns out, it looks like we're years above, uh, years ahead of our federal agencies and our 
um, you know, legacy medical organizations. We now have four leading medical organizations that fully support early treatment, but it's not the usual ones. You know, it's not the AMA or it's not the American College of Physicians or the American College of Pediatrics. These are new organizations that are designed and built around the idea that we can treat COVID-19 and reduce hospitalization and death, and it is a giant unmet need. You know, I would start with just um, kind of taking us back to uh, March of uh, 2020, and, you know, there was right away there were early treatments available for covid there was the the french doctor i, I can never pronounce his name right but uh, but he was the one who was experimenting with hydroxychloroquine and um and having wonderful results and then you know this thing got politicized and you know trump trump said he was taking it and then the news attacked it but um it seems like there there have been several different uh therapeutics that, that have been proven to work in in most of the studies i've seen and that have been really suppressed by the media what would you say to that and why why is this happening well, I would agree to that. I wouldn't get to the why so much. I think people just need to know what to do. Probably the single greatest advance that I'm seeing now is because we have the Delta outbreak. Yeah. Delta is living in the nose and mouth at very high viral loads, way higher than the previous versions. We're talking 251 to 1,000 times higher viral load among those who are vaccinated and those unvaccinated compared to a year ago. And what do we know? is we know that the virus is easily killed, just like it's easily killed with hand sanitizer. And the problem is it's not an infection of the hands. It's an infection in the nose and mouth for about three to five days before it moves into the body. So what we need to do is we need to zap the virus in the nose and mouth. Single greatest advance is the use of povidone, iodine, or betadine. Everybody here listening should have a bottle of betadine. It's a brown solution. It's an iodine solution. We use it to sterilize wounds in the hospital. It costs just a few dollars available at every grocery store, every pharmacy that exists. Get a bottle of betadine and dilute it two teaspoons in six ounces of water. And that can be gargled and swished in the mouth, spit out and have a nasal spray. Spray it up the nose and snort it out at least twice a day on days that you go outside the house because you could pick up the virus as you go out. If you've ever been exposed to COVID-19, like and in a party or what have you, do it four times a day for three days, and that's prophylaxis. And then with acute COVID-19, I have patients doing this right now. They do it every four hours, as was done in the clinical trial by Chowdhury et al., a randomized uh, controlled trial that demonstrated a 75% effect in aborting the illness. You can actually abort the misery of COVID-19 mm -hmm. by blasting the nose and mouth with powdered iodine. If someone's iodine sensitive, or um, has a pregnancy or iodine-sensitive thyroid disease, we can use hydrogen peroxide uh, in dilute, again, dilute. We can use sodium hypochlorite. And no matter what we use, we follow it up with scope or Listerine in the mouth to clear out the medicinal taste in the mouth. So that initial oral nasal decontamination, single greatest upda uh, update that we have. And you're right, we always had oral therapy. Didier Rialt, Matthew Milan, I've actually had them on uh, my program, America Out Loud Talk Radio, The McCullough Report, they were innovating early with hydroxychloroquine. I wrote one of the earliest investigational new drug applications for hydroxychloroquine back in March because we knew it was going to work in COVID-19 based on the giant base of literature that we have today. And now we're up to over 250 supportive studies in using hydroxychloroquine. There's another drug, an intracellular parasitic, ivermectin. Yeah. We're over 60 supportive studies, over 30 randomized trials. There's another one in Japan and Russia called favipiravir. There's another one coming from Merck called molpinavir. So there's a whole layer of 
antiviral drugs. Now we precede that in high-risk seniors with monoclonal <laughs> antibodies. We've had them since November. Uh, the Regeneron monoclonal antibody is featured. Everybody listening to this broadcast who's over age 65, present with COVID-19, do not hesitate. Get a monoclonal antibody infusion. Call ahead of time. Figure out where these antibodies are administered in your community. Write down the number and get activated. I just got off the phone with a desperate couple in Houston. They're five days into it. No monoclonal antibody infusion. Now they're in ER and they're being told it's too late. And so we have to take this action early. That's the reason why these podcasts are so important. Well, and uh, with the monoclonal antibodies, though, that has also drummed up a lot of uh, uh, controversy around it. Like they've, they've literally, you know, uh, in Florida, they were saying they were going to use it very exclusively almost. And uh, they, they started restricting states on how much they could get. They were spreading it out is how Biden had said is what I had heard. But um, anyways, it is it is true. We have a friend actually who is um, who is in the hospital recently mm -hmm. and who had just got the monoclonal antibodies. And uh, so I, I do believe, you know, uh, Dr. Richard Bartlett was one of the ones early on just saying that that was one of the best treatments. And uh, Absolutely. it seems like you it's know, helping. If Americans saw President Trump get the monoclonal antibodies in spring of last year. Governor Abbott yeah. here in Texas, he was fully vaccinated. He was a vaccine failure. He got monoclonal antibodies. Recently, Joe Rogan got yep. the monoclonal yep. antibodies. He got nutraceuticals and also got ivermectin, prednisone, the other drugs in sequence. When I was asked by Dan Ball in Real America about Joe Rogan, I said, Joe Rogan got the protocol that I drew up for the mm -hmm. world yeah. and published that he actually got standard of care treatment. And Joe Rogan took basically a 30-day miserable illness where a big guy would have landed him in the hospital to a three- or four-day illness, and he's right back yeah. at work. What we are seeing is we are seeing textbook high-quality care. Joe, We should take Joe Rogan and basically make him a national example, and we would not have anybody landing in the hospital. But instead, we just say he took horse paste. and uh... Yeah, it's just absolutely <laughs> criminal. Like yeah, I don't yeah. know how the history books are going to look back on this and, and, and explain it. There's no way they're going to be able to explain their way out of this. Like It's just shocking on so many levels. I, I do remember it's one of the things you said about um, you know the, the iodines and whatnot. I remember, I remember hearing a long time ago that just mouthwash could help. It was mouthwash alone something that would help? Yeah, just scope or Listerine yeah. does have a, a, a killing effect on the virus. The virus is easily killed. The reason why we like the Povidone iodine, it basically just zaps it on contact. Sure. It is incredibly powerful. Uh, I had a physician yesterday in the office. He's done great avoiding uh, COVID-19. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I bought a $17 nebulizer and I use a combination of dilute hydrogen peroxide with some Lugol's iodine, which is a wonderful combination. He goes, I just, I come home from the office. I, I zap it. I zap it in the morning, zap it in the evening. And, uh, you know, a dentist, I learned originally from this from Dr. Paul Gossett in Chicago, an anti-infective dentist. Paul says, listen, we've been in the mouths of people all year long yeah. for a year and a half now. In the mouths of people. He goes, you haven't heard about any dental clinic outbreaks. He goes, you know what, what, what the dentists and staff are doing? They've been using anti-infective dentistry and nasal uh, antimicrobial uh, treatments the entire time. In fact, they do it already for cytomegalovirus and Epstein-Barr virus. It's supported by the American Dental Association. And what an innovation. You know, there was a hint of this last spring. Do you remember when former President Trump mentioned bleach? Remember that? Yeah. And yeah. Everyone, yeah. Made, everyone made fun of him. Yep. You know what the concept was? That's sodium hypochlorite. If you put just a little bit of bleach again in water, and, you, and you're talking a couple of drops, swish it and spit it out, it actually kills virus in the mouth. And the hmm. dentists do this for viral gingivitis. It's in the ADA guidelines. 
So what people need to know is they can take a tremendous amount of, of the uh, control over uh, treating the virus into their own hands. So definitely oral nasal treatment on a daily basis for those who are susceptible, post-exposure four times a day, immediate treatment, go every four hours. Uh, and again, the povidone iodine followed with scope or Listerine is the best. And then also nutraceuticals. Everyone should understand that those on diuretics become zinc deficient. So we need 50 milligrams of amount of zinc. We have now vitamin D. Uh, you know, we're all inside right now. Look at you guys. You have a black background. You're getting no ultraviolet <laughs> exposure. Right. The, the bottom line is, you, you know, the, that vitamin D, there's been some recent studies showing if you get a vitamin D concentration in blood of over 50, it's nearly impossible to succumb to COVID-19. So vitamin D is not only preventive, but it's therapeutic. Doctors, I've learned from a doctor in the UK, they're using 20,000 units of vitamin K, or vitamin D as a therapeutic in acute COVID-19. Again, reasonably supported by the studies, vitamin C, uh, and then quercetin or quercetin, a polyphenol substance. So the bottom line is there is a layer of nutraceuticals. It's been in the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons Home Treatment Guide. It's been in the guide for a year to have a base of nutraceuticals. High-risk seniors over 65 immediately get a monoclonal antibody infusion. Those over age 50, other medical problems, monoclonal antibody infusion. If no antibody infusion, then we move into hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, doxycycline, azithromycin, and then we move down the list in terms of anti-inflammatories, anti-coagulants. Awesome. Uh, we had a question submitted. Uh, will quercetin, <laughs> oh, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, and vitamin C work as effectively as hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin as a zinc ionophore? They may have some of those capabilities. I'm not an expert in the nutraceuticals, and our naturopathic and and uh, other specialists, integrative medicine specialists, have really contributed greatly. I can tell you one of the reasons why hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are so effective is they have multiple mechanisms of action. So with hydroxy, for instance, it actually is a zinc ionophore. Mm -hmm. Remember, zinc inhibits the polymerase of the virus. So you want to deactivate the polymerase. That's what molpinavir does, the Merck mm -hmm. drug. That's what favipiravir does. That's what remdesivir. Remdesivir is a polymerase inhibitor. So why not use the cheapest and readily available polymerase inhibitor, zinc, and then when we add hydroxy ivermectin to it, we actually pull it into the cell and work. We need drugs that work inside the cells, and that's the reason why hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are so effective. They work inside the cells. So does azithromycin and doxycycline. And you know, of interest, the um, Brazilians are using uh, a, a, a nitrogen oxide, and they're also, it's related to nitrofurantoin. Uh, that's another drug available. So the intracellular agents really have an effect on really trying to put a drag on the virus so it doesn't replicate. But remember, the virus itself is not the real villain. The villain is the, the, the wave of massive inflammation that happens in the body. We have to deal with that with inhaled steroids, budesonide, inhaled budesonide. Richard Bartlett was the innovator there. He gets a tremendous amount of credit supported by two randomized trials. The STOIC trial, over an 80% reduction in hospitalizations with inhaled budesonide in a prospective randomized trial. You can't beat that. Mm. We use oral steroids. I think the best one is prednisone, supported by the Brazilian work of Fonseca <laughs> et al., but there's multiple randomized trials, dexamethasone, hydrocortisone, prednisone. Prednisone, we use it in asthma. Everybody knows about prednisone. Uh, uh, this is a common medicine, very cheap. We start on about day five of illness, systemic symptoms like weakness, short, shortness of breath, pulmonary symptoms. Another drug, wonderful drug, generic, available, and well-supported is colchicine. We use colchicine for 30 days, uh, and that's supported by the co-corona trial. Over 4,000 patients, prospective, double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized trial, the highest quality evidence we have. 
Everybody should be shouting from the rooftop, rooftops about culture scene. We get it started one tablet twice a day for uh, two to three days, and then we move into once a day for 30 days afterwards. And then we get down to blood thinners. Very importantly, everybody should have full dose aspirin in the house, 325 milligrams. My Italian colleagues are now using 700 milligrams. This is a condition that causes blood clotting. When the oxygen saturation goes down, it's not the virus, it's blood clots. Every single autopsy study shows it's micro blood clots in the lungs that's dropping the oxygen saturation. People are checking their oxygen oximeter and they're reaching for remdesivir or they're reaching for um, uh, you know, prednisone or what have you. No, it's blood clotting. So we need aspirin in many patients, anybody oxygen saturations below uh, uh, 92%, I'm telling you, they need Lovenox. They need Lovenox injections or they need an oral blood thinner such as Eliquis or Xeralto or Pradexa. These are typically uh, uh, older seniors. But we have patients who are baking for days with low oxygen saturations. I keep saying, where's the blood thinner? Where's the blood thinner? And in the scramble of confusion, people are reaching for the wrong drugs. What kills patients in COVID-19 is blood clots every single time. And we must use blood thinners. Aspirin's a good blood thinner and we add other ones to it. Awesome. So one of the things I've noticed too is like Eliquis, that's a Pfizer product, right? You know what I mean? And so they're kind of getting it on both ends here, you know what I mean? But, uh, but you know, uh, to give them credit, you know, Eliquis has a free 30-day coupon card. Everybody okay. should know Eliquis should cost you zero dollars. Go look it up. Have it ready on your phone because I love to pull the trigger on Eliquis. They go pick it up for free. Yeah. And we get, listen, we use blood thinners after hip, hip and knee surgery. Mm-hmm. We use blood thinners for atrial fibrillation, for other things. It's not a big deal to go on blood thinners for a month and be saved by COVID-19. High-risk people who have had people in my family have it. And I'm telling you, our seniors need about 30 days of blood thinning. Now, let's talk about duration. You guys are all nice young uh, group there. You would probably need, if you got really sick with COVID, five days of treatment. Someone my age, about 10 days of treatment. The average senior citizen... 30 days of treatment. It's a long illness. And so we have to be prepared for a long treatment phase. Awesome. Yeah. And so, uh, considering you're a cardiologist, you know, this is, this is a great opportunity to really dive into, you know, kind of the, the, the narrative around, uh, you know, trying to extend the vaccine for children, right. And the main risk being, uh, myocarditis, that sort of stuff. And I think the main response, pericarditis, yes. The main, main responses we get, of course, when, when we go to like CNN or somebody trying to argue against us, like, well, you have even more of a risk from COVID itself. Like what, what would you say about that? Remember the entire time now we're maybe 20 minutes into this interview, we've been focusing on the seniors, senior Mm. citizens. COVID respiratory illness is a crisis for the elderly. Mm -hmm. It's a crisis of senior citizens. You know, Americans have seen this for a year and a half now. They know COVID-19 respiratory illness is all about the seniors, Mm. right? We all know this. Uh, Right now, the CDC has on their website, as of October 12th, they have uh, over 30,000 full-blown vaccine failures, people fully vaccinated, double vaccinated, as vaccinated as you can get, and they are failing the vaccine. They've either been hospitalized or died. 23% of that fraction is death. And we know 85% of the deaths, 67% of the hospitalizations are in people over 65. So we can't emphasize enough, COVID-19 is a problem, a respiratory problem in the seniors. So why in the world would we ever mention children? Mm -hmm. Why would the focus of vaccination be on children? I think the last time I looked, we'd had less than 500 children have died. And if you take out the comorbidities, like it basically doesn't affect children. And we, we know that the flu is worse on children 
than, than COVID-19 is. So, well, you know, so is auto accidents and strangling mm-hmm. yeah. and, and traumatic deaths. And um, so the virus has a predilection to attack the seniors. We must always keep our focus on the seniors. Any discussion of children is taking our eye off the priority. This is very important. We've had about six months of the news cycle on children. We know, no, 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 not children. Children are not the problem. It's the seniors. Can't you see how the the media cycle is taking our eye off the focus? It's extraordinary. And then the media wants to go right back to children. No, 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 go back to seniors. Mm -hmm. The focus is, you know, it's kind of like you have a child. The media is like a child (laughs) and we have to keep refocusing them on the problem. No, no, no. Get back onto the problem. You know, I was, I, I'm a frequent contributor to Fox News. Yep. And Laura Ingram invariably wants me to comment about masks. And I keep saying, no, 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 no. Masks are not treatment. Let's get right back on treatment, treatment of the seniors. Oh, let's talk about masks and children. No, let's get back on treatment in seniors. You know, this is about focus. One of the reasons why America has, is actually probably the worst in the world in COVID-19 is they Americans cannot focus on the problem. Mm. They cannot focus. Our public health agencies need to be basically laser focused on the seniors. Why are the vaccines failing on the seniors? How can we get better treatment? What about monoclonal antibody distribution to the seniors? That's the problem. I tell you, my phone blows up with calls from senior citizens, not from five-year-old children, mm-hmm. for, not from parents. Most parents don't even know their kids have COVID. It's like a drippy nose. And in the Pfizer study of vaccines in children ages uh, uh, 12 to 15, you know, 2,200 individuals published in the New England Journal of Medicine. You know what the vaccine did? It prevented 18 cases of the sniffles, (laughs) of which the kids probably would have had anyway. I mean, kids get colds. 18 Mm -hmm. cases, really, out of 2,200? It basically did nothing. It caused an antibody rise against COVID-19. They were able to get an FDA EUA approval on that in order to vaccinate uh, uh, younger individuals. And, you know, since release, you know what the vaccine has done? It's had no benefit on COVID-19 in children that's been reported anywhere, and it's caused damage. It's caused Mm -hmm. damage to the hearts of children called myocarditis. The CDC and the FDA told us about this in June. They analyzed about 200 cases. 90% of the kids were in the hospital, pretty sick. And they said, it can happen. The FDA put a warning on it. Don't give vaccines to children because it can happen. But they said, it's rare. And I was on TV. Again, I told Laura Ingram, nobody ought to get a vaccine under age 30. Listen, it's just not worth it. Well, guess where we are now? 6,800 cases plus of myocarditis in younger people. Now it ranges from the young, it peaks around, I think age 12 or 13, but it ranges all the way up to people 40s or 50s, mm-hmm. men way more than women. Mm-hmm. And this heart injury lands 86% of people in the hospital. It's a big deal. Who wants to be hospitalized when you're busy with school? Heart damage, um, EKG changes, very high cardiac troponin levels, damaging, that's a, that's a blood test showing damage to the heart, way higher than a heart attack, by the way, and way higher than we'd ever see troponin elevations uh, with COVID, the respiratory illness in people in the ICU. So it's a different animal, it's serious myocarditis. About a quarter have reduced left ventricular ejection fraction by echocardiography. That means they're gonna go into heart failure. We have to use medicines to prevent heart failure. In a paper by Tracy Hogue, that was uh, from UC Davis that was presented to the FDA on September 17th. And I can tell you, it's going to be presented to them again hmm. in the open sessions coming up uh, in a few days. Tracy Hoag's analysis from VAERS and VSAFE shows yeah. 
a younger person is more likely to be hospitalized with COVID with a, 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 a vaccine induced myocarditis that the FDA is warning us about. They're more likely to be hospitalized with the vaccine cardiac injury syndrome than ever get COVID nineteen and be hospitalized with COVID nineteen. Yeah. Right. Wow. And I would I would um, ask since since you're a cardiologist, I mean. What we're seeing is the short-term results of, you know, the myocarditis and pericarditis. What do we even have any idea of what this is doing to, to kids long-term that are having this happen? We have no idea right now, but I'll give you my clinical judgment. And you know, last year I published a whole series of opinion editorials in the Hill as kind of a window to America. This year I have America Out Loud Talk Radio, the McCullough Report, mm-hmm. and I can tell you so far I haven't been wrong. So anybody listening out here, the fact checkers. Let, let me know where I was wrong in predicting. I am developing a clinical um, impression that this is going to be short-lived, that there are some children who need some uh, transient cardiology care, some drug support, and I've done this in my practice, but I am not seeing long-term consequences uh, of the vaccines in terms of cardiac injury, neurologic injury, uh, even blood clots. If we can get people through these uh, complications, I'm not seeing the emergence of long-term side effects. Now, having said that, I'm cautious. I'm following my patients closely. About 70% of my patients took the vaccine. Now, I didn't encourage them or discourage them. Remember, doctors cannot encourage the vaccines. Very important. Doctors cannot. And you know why? I'll tell you why. Doctors cannot encourage the vaccines because they're in research. They are part of an investigation. Every consent form in the United States uses the word research or investigation or investigational it means this research. Yeah. Doctors actually cannot encourage research. They can let people know about it, but they can't encourage it. You know why? Because we have an Office of Human Research Protections in the United States, and the first tenant, the first rule that they have is called the Nuremberg Code. Mm-hmm. The Nuremberg Code means that no one can receive any pressure, coercion, or threat of reprisal. So if a doctor encourages the vaccine, that could be interpreted as pressure. If a, uh, if a uh, employer or a church or school encourages the vaccine, or mandates the vaccine, it's actually against the Nuremberg Code. It's actually, you know, we have that memorialized. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you another reason why we can't do it is because the uh, safety data from VAERS and VSAFE is yeah. not yet in the consent form. And, and because there have been so many people who have died or been injured due to the vaccines, that actually has to go in the consent form. And because it's not in the consent right now, well, we're violating the Declaration of Helsinki. That's number two in the Office of Human Research Protections. And so that's the reason why doctors can't encourage the vaccine. Any doctor who actually has encouraged the vaccine or any medical society who's done that has actually been in violation of our rules of medical ethics. Absolutely. I think I think just that brings about the question that I've wanted to ask uh, this whole time as well, though, is have any of these vaccines been approved by the FDA? No, they haven't. On August 23rd, the FDA met with Pfizer. Uh, it was a closed meeting. There weren't any expert presenters. And Pfizer was not approved. Pfizer did not have strong enough data to get the vaccine approved. So it got a continuation of the emergency use authorization. Uh, There are two legally distinct entities. Uh, There's another one, Comirnaty, which is by BioNTech. And BioNTech got what's called a BLA, a biological licensing agreement, which said that if you can negotiate a package insert for Comirnaty, if you can do the post-marketing studies to tell us why the myocarditis is happening and what it means, then you can actually get approval to come on the U.S. market as a German product. 
Well, th that's in the future. There is no Comer Natty product in the States. The package mm -hmm. insert hasn't been memorialized or finalized. And so I can tell you today, there hasn't been a single FDA approved vaccine given to Americans, but yet a false talking point uh, emerged from that meeting. Uh, it went all the way up to the president of the United States, said that Pfizer was approved when in fact it wasn't. We are looking at the letters. I mean, the FDA produced the letters. In fact, Dr. Gruber, who signed the letter to BioNTech, she resigned seven days later. That gives you any indicator of, of kind of the moral conviction behind this. Everybody knows these weren't approved, but that false talking point was generated. And that actually probably triggered a wave of more ill-advised unwanted mandates. Yeah, absolutely. And and probably, you know, the person that's been doing some of the probably the best reporting I've seen on this so far is Ryan Christian, the last American vagabond. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him or his work, but, uh, you know, he's gone so far as to like break it down as to why these are legally distinct, you know, and these are like different products like he. Um, so the B2, BNT 162B2, the original, you know, emergency use authorization, Pfizer BioNTech. Um, the original one that's been distributed that's widely available right now as opposed to the Comirnaty, which is not available, first of all, like not available, like you said, but also uh, is, is a different product. They added what they call co codon, uh, yeah, codon uh, optimi optimized codons, right? So basically their argument being like, oh, this is a better product. It's better. Yeah, but still it's a different product. So that means you what? You have to go back and start the whole clinical trials from the beginning, right? Technically, before well, you give this approval. I can tell you, you know, lead attorney Adam Siri is suing Pfizer mm -hmm. to disclose the data. And he's proposing a professional um, uh, medical uh, review committee of which I'm one of the members mm -hmm. to review the data. Pfizer needs to tell us what is this vaccine? Where are the data? Right now the FDA is looking at uh, basically obsolete data. They're looking at uh, vaccine performance with the wild type, alpha, beta, and some gamma variants. They're all extinct right now. We now have 99% Delta, and they're not looking at data with Delta. The Delta variant is now resistant to the vaccines. So we have plenty of published studies now showing Pfizer, for instance, has little or no effect on Delta. So whether they approve boosters, whether they approve it for children, it doesn't matter because they are working in the past. Mm. The virus has changed. Everybody knows this. The flu vaccine has to be changed every year because the virus undergoes what's called antigenic drift. Well, what's going on with COVID-19 is way worse than antigenic drift. It's flat out mutation to avoid the effect of the vaccines. And the Delta variant now is thriving among the unvaccinated. There's a paper by Iyer and colleagues from Oxford, September 29th in preprint, basically showing after about 120 days, Pfizer is effectively useless mm. against the Delta variant. So, and there was there was a recent study I saw within I think the last week that showed it was they uh, looked at 68 countries and uh, I think it was 3,000 counties in the, in the United States and they show they showed no correlation between the vaccination rates and uh, and and the cases and if if anything they said there was maybe a little bit of a positive correlation so um, it seems to me and from what you're saying too is like that the the vaccine is not stopping uh, the Delta variant at all. That's correct. You're referring to the Subramanian analysis, and Subramanian did look carefully at the uptake of the vaccine program to see if it had any public health impact whatsoever, and the answer was zero. Uh, hmm. There are some analyses showing the vaccine program has actually made things worse, and Israel's the best example. Do you know Israel's outbreak curve before the vaccines was smaller and easier to manage? Now their, their outbreak curve with Delta is way bigger 
than their original curve, and they have virtually everybody who can take a vaccine vaccinated. They even have people taking boosters, large numbers in Israel, and they're reporting on booster failures because, again, Pfizer doesn't code against the Delta variant, doesn't affect the Delta variant. And our CDC director has come on TV this summer and tell us there was a Houston wedding where they were all vaccinated. They contaminated each other with Delta. Fahrenheit published it. It was obvious. Uh, there was an outbreak in a lockdown group in Ho Chi Minh City. Uh, and Oxford uh, reported this uh, in Lancet, where they had the AstraZeneca vaccine just a month earlier. They were fully vaccinated. They passed Delta to each other like crazy. They actually tracked it. Uh, it, it wasn't stopping it. There was a British naval vessel. All the sailors vaccinated. They gave each other Delta. And now we have these two really explosive papers in the United States, one from uh, Reimer Isma from uh, the Wisconsin Department of Public Health and the other one from Acherian from University of California Davis, showing among those vaccinated and unvaccinated who come forward to the public health agencies for testing, meaning they're coming down with COVID-19. They have equal viral loads in the nose and mouth. No difference. The vaccine is like nothing. And, uh, and in fact, the, the median cycle threshold is like 24, meaning there's a huge viral load. And in the Wisconsin paper, they actually took the virus out of, <laughs> they took them out of the vaccinated, unvaccinated, and they infected other cells in an in vitro study, and they're equally as infectious. So they prove beyond a, a, a shadow of a doubt that someone vaccinated is just as much as a public health threat as someone unvaccinated. It's unequivocal at this point in time. One cannot claim that they're creating a safer environment by vaccinating everyone. One can't uh, make the case that a passport system is gonna do anything with respect to reducing COVID-19. And in fact, overall, we can see as predicted by Brown, Brown in Waterloo, by the way, did analyses years ago based off the clinical trials, not years ago, months ago, and said basically these, these vaccines aren't going to do anything because they have such a low absolute risk reduction. And I would say, and um, I will ask you this, if, if you would agree with the statement, that the only way really through this is to is for natural infection, is to get a, a, to, to get true herd immunity. Um, and that's why when, when they're attacking our kids with the vaccine, that seems like the kids should be our buffer. To, to the, kids, the kids almost need to get this to kind of let it run through. Uh, what would you say to that? There are um, data analyses that suggest that kids are actually an immunologic buffer. You know, there's been no major school outbreaks, uh, been no major documentation of uh, children spreading it to uh, teachers, and there's not much upward spread in families. The typical family spread, as publications from China show, is the adults get it. Uh, about 85% of the transmission, by the way, occurs in the home, it doesn't occur outside the home. And then the kids are kind of secondary recipients. That's what I see in my practice. In children, it's like one or two days of a drippy nose. Every so often, a child with asthma would need a budesonide inhaler or some azithromycin or some, or some additional medications to get them through the illness and occasional use of prednisone. The only children who get hospitalized are those who get zero outpatient treatment. And, and heaven forbid, the only children who have ever died are either deep into another syndrome like cystic fibrosis or cancer or they're just underserved children that don't get any treatment. This is the easiest illness in the world to treat in children. Mm. Not a single child should be hospitalized or die with COVID-19. And they certainly don't need the vaccine because the vaccine is causing more harm. You know, 6,800 mm. cases of myocarditis. You know, the, the Koreans just reported uh, a 22-year-old Korean man who was probably mandated to take the vaccine. He took the vaccine and he dies of fulminant myocarditis. They did an autopsy 
And it was clear that the vaccine-induced spike protein was ripping up his heart, atria and ventricles. It was really, it was really terrible to read that report. It's published in the National Library of Medicine and PubMed. How much more evidence do we need? We have FDA warnings saying, don't do it. We have autopsies showing it happens. We have preclinical studies showing it happens. And now in a paper by Rose and myself, published in current uh, uh, problems in cardiology and cited in the National Library of Medicine, we look at the VAERS data and show how, how really, how unbelievably prevalent this is in young people and the long tail, you know, it's men way more than women, but all the way men out to their 40s and 50s. And, mm. you know, I, I, you may have heard, but Sweden and many other Scandinavian mm. countries are saying, listen, no vaccines for people yeah. under 30, yeah. particularly for Moderna. Um, you know, I've been on Laura Ingram, I, I think back in the spring, I was saying, listen, nobody under age 30. There's sure. absolutely no reason to do this. This is so easy to treat. In fact, we're not only going to cause myocarditis, but there are warnings on J&J &J about blood clots in young women yeah. in the transverse sinus and, and, um, uh, and central venous sinus in the brain. There's warnings on Johnson & Johnson for Guillain-Barre syndrome, the children, young people having paralysis move up their legs into the trunk and they can't breathe. It's fatal. I mean, this is really, um, uh, really, this is a, for young people. So I agree with you. The path forward at this point in time, there's been a report by the evidence-based consulting group in England, the principal uh, consulting group to, to the World Health Organization. Their, their advice is they analyzed the yellow card system. It's just like VAERS. They found the same thing. They're advising shut down the program. Yeah. The FDA has had uh, citizen petitions in from doctors with a renewed one. It's led by uh, the University of Maryland, um, as well as nursing uh, demand letters into the FDA, actually, uh, petition letters saying, listen, don't approve these products. Uh, in fact, if we would have had proper safety monitoring, the program would have been shut down in February after about 27 million people vaccinated because of excess mortality. We could have actually stopped a lot of the death and injury that was occurring with the vaccines in February. Do you know the CDC tells us right now over 20,000 people have been permanently disabled from the vaccine? Mm. 20,000. I mean, how, how can you answer for that at this point in time? The injuries occur from a cardiac injury, neurologic, that's the big one. The neurologic injury is what's actually making people physically disabled. And then we have immunologic and hematologic. And the hematologic uh, injuries are what's called vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic mm -hmm. purpurea, VITT. It's actually a new disease in medicine caused by the COVID-19 vaccines where the platelet count drops, people start bleeding from the, the gums, the nose, get bruising all over, they go into renal failure, develop a hemolytic anemia, they have to be hospitalized, get, get steroids, plasma exchange. Uh, we know about these in our circles. Another one is these acute hypertensive uh, uh, episodes that happens, been published in the journal Hypertension. Laura Ingram had a woman who came on her show months ago who this happened to, blood pressure shot up, she had a hemorrhage into her brain, uh, she's devastated now on the left side of her body. I've talked to her and her daughter, they're absolutely decimated. In our circles here in Dallas, we had a young man 42 years old, blood pressure shot up, aortic dissection, ripped his entire major blood vessel, had to have a thoracotomy. He's absolutely destroyed from this. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. So the bottom line is the vaccines in general are not safe for human use, the United States or the UK or in Europe. We've got 27 vaccines in development. Uh, it looks like the seniors, the effect of, the protective effect of the vaccines has worn off in seniors. And we may have a new vaccine that's safer that can be used in nursing home residents and nursing home workers, but that's going to be about it. I don't, I don't see anything that's going to have a role in the general population.
Even if we come up with a, a vaccine that is safer, I mean, the, the therapeutics that we do have, it seems like we could stop a lot of these cases if we if we were using the drugs that we already know work. Sure, and fewer people will get infected because there's such a huge block of already had COVID-19, probably, COVID probably most of you have done this. You know, when I give um, a, a lectures around the country, more than half of people raise their hands so they've been through it. Um, you know, I've been through it. And uh, Jennifer Block in September 17th issue of the British Medical Journal, Medical Reporter, used CDC and US Census data and figured through May that we had 120 million Americans that have been through it. And that was kind of before the Delta wave. So that's gonna be a big boost. We have 44% of those 18 to 49 have already been through it. We know those people don't need a vaccine. They can't get COVID-19. Again, they have a negligible risk. They have robust, complete, and durable immunity. In fact, studies show, uh, three studies, Raw, Kramer, and Methodius show that they, they actually will be harmed by the vaccine. And that's the reason why the FDA excluded them from randomized trials. So if the FDA, Pfizer, and Moderna exclude COVID recovery from the randomized trials, of course they don't need vaccines. Of course, there's no way that they can be mandated into taking a vaccine. And those who are issuing those mandates uh, really need to stop them right now because it's not supportable. Well, I, I've, I've also had COVID-19, you know, and, and I, I, I work at a, at a job that has 104 employees. Mm -hmm. And I'm waiting to see what's going to happen with, you know, President Biden's order that supposedly, from my understanding, is at OSHA right now. And OSHA is going to issue guidance to to uh, see how we'll see how my business, you know, uh, Scott here already lost his job. Yep, I was over. a drug and alcohol counselor and I was pushed out because of the fallout from the vaccine mandates and me taking a stance publicly at the company saying like, hey, if you need help doing religious or medical exemptions, we're very involved in the medical freedom movement. You know, I know lots of lawyers and doctors like we can help you with that process. And after that, they targeted me and, and got me on some stupid stuff. They said they found malware on my work computer. But anyway, and also that agency, just to put it out there, Willamette Family in Eugene, Oregon, was denying people medical treatment based on their vaccine status. And Oregon Health Authority, we're out here in Eugene, Oregon. Oregon Health Authority, the ones that are behind all the, the insanity, actually stepped in and said, no, 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 that's going too far. So even the, the, the lunatics at Oregon Health Authority thought Willamette Family was going too far. <laughs> now, remember the vaccine uh is is really growing close to actually not being a vaccine so dr jane ruby has reminded me of this actually i was thinking about an email i just got through a third party uh that remember vaccines are you know at most once a year mm -hmm. they should have at least 50 percent protection against something and when we start doing injections more frequently than once a year that's not a vaccine anymore yeah, that's exactly. Medical, I, I try to use the word shots, shots or injections, no, is what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That's medical yeah. therapy. People are being placed on medical therapy. It is genetic gene transfer medical therapy. Uh, Israel now cons considers if a patient has not uh, taken a booster, they consider them unvaccinated. So you start yeah. over mm -hmm. again. Yeah. So you can imagine everybody who took the vaccine now is actually unvaccinated unless they take a booster. So you can see how the goalposts keep moving. Mm -hmm. People contact me all the time and they say, Dr. McCullough, I'm being mandated to take a vaccine. Otherwise, I'm going to lose my job. Mm -hmm. I asked them, what's the social contract? If you take a vaccine, do you get five years of employment? Do you get a year? Do you get six months? Do you get three months? They said, well, I don't know. I said, why don't you find out the social contract before you take the risk on a vaccine? Mm -hmm. So the employers... Uh, have really in an ill-advised way. No one knows who's actually deciding on these mandates. When I asked people, I said, well, who, who made the decision? They go, well, I don't know. I said, why don't you send a few emails and figure out who made the decision for the vaccine mandate? 
And what's the social contract? What do you get out of getting a vaccine? Yeah, exactly. Well, and when as soon as Biden made that proclamation that he was going to work with the labor unions to, to 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 any any business over 100 employees would would force these mandates. I went into my HR and just said, you know, I was very respectful and nice, but I just said I would like to be involved in this conversation. I will talk with you know any of the executives, people on the board, and uh, I would just like to. I, I don't want this to be just rolled out, and you're going to tell me what's going on. I feel like I am knowledgeable up. Uh, enough on this uh issue to, to be involved you know so and that's that's what i did we'll see if that has any effect we'll see if i get to be a part of that conversation but um mm -hmm. obviously i know where i stand i have natural immunity which is shown to be way more robust than than any of these vaccines are going to offer so um i'm not going to threaten that with a vaccine so well yeah. remember one of the legal premises of mandates is what's called public health threat and so public health threat goes back to this idea that if you had a derelict person and they had active TB and they came into your workplace coughing, you know, years ago, you could actually physically remove that person and put them in a TB sanatorium or, or in a sense, contain them because they were a public health threat. Uh, you know, I can tell you now, uh, someone who's had COVID and you've recovered under no circumstances by any legal standard would you ever be considered a public health threat because you can't in fact the vaccinated are far bigger public health threat than you so you can't be considered one and, and under those legal standards anybody who challenges a vaccine mandate is going to win because you're not a public health threat they can't make you do it unless you and they can't make you do it because it's research right it's not fda approved and they can't make you do it because it violates what's called the principle of autonomy. So with every mandate, listen, kids are mandated to take the uh, meningococcal vaccine before they go to college. Do you know basically everybody takes it? You know why? Because there's zero deaths with the meningococcal vaccine. I'm a doctor. I am mandated to take the hepatitis B vaccine. And I do. Yeah, I was just, we mandated to take the flu vaccine. And I do. Why? Because there's zero deaths. I'm not going to die with the vaccine. Do you know why people are in? And there's no protest. I've never seen a protest over the meningococcal vaccine. I've never seen a protest over hepatitis B or influenza. Never. We got 17% of the U.S. workforce is in healthcare. I've never seen a protest except for COVID-19 vaccines. Why? Because healthcare workers know they can die. They can take the vaccine and they can die. And the CDC is telling us that's happened 16,000 plus times. The CDC has told us 20,000 people have been plus have been permanently disabled. The CDC is telling us that 250,000 people have been either been hospitalized or in an urgent care clinics or office visits have been damaged by the vaccine. The healthcare workers know this. So that's We've the reason it. why we're protesting. Listen, the same people are protesting, turn around and get a hepatitis B vaccine, no problem. The healthcare workers, should. this should be a giant message to your listeners. The healthcare workers know the vaccines are so sufficiently unsafe. They're so sufficiently a threat to their personal health. And that's the reason why they're protesting. Totally. I think we take issue injecting brand newborn babies with hepatitis B vaccine. But that's all right. But that's for another day. But uh, <laughs> let's see. So one of the things I really definitely want to get into um, is you talk about uh, like the idea of patient advocates. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people who have gone into hospital settings and ended up going to the hospital. I'm like, dude, which hospital? I need to make sure that I'm able to get you out in case they want to like throw you on a ventilator or anything like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just like, oh, my God. But uh, uh, but let's tell the audience a little bit about some of the resources that you, you, you have in terms of patient advocates like America's Frontline Nurses, AAPS, FLCCC. 
Yeah, let me talk about that. That's probably a most frequent text. Um, I was just checking my text to see how many more came in. <laughs> or email that I get is from a desperate family member to say, my loved one is in the hospital. Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, there is a recent paper by Fillmore and colleagues from the Veterans Administration showing that about 45% of people in the hospital never have an oxygen saturation below 94%. I'm telling you as a doctor, a huge number of these people in the hospital don't need to be there. What we've learned is that with COVID-19, because it's micro blood clots and it's not a consolidative pneumonia, it's not heart failure, we can tolerate lower oxygen saturations. It's just like going to altitude. I had COVID-19 myself, I had pulmonary involvement. I felt a little short of breath. It was like I went to Pikes Peak or Mount Rainier. It's like going to altitude, it's very manageable. As long as somebody is not breathing too hard, and they can think okay and have good support. We manage people at home all the time. If we need to order oxygen concentrators, we order them. It's not a big deal. COVID-19 is a home management problem. The hospital has relatively little to offer outside of mechanical ventilation and then IV fluid if somebody is incredibly um, dehydrated. You know, remdesivir has very mixed data. Convalescent plasma is being phased out. Barcetinimib very mixed data. Tozolizumab, very mixed data. The hospital has relatively little to offer, to be honest with you. Our big guns are monoclonal antibodies and they work great. Regeneron, that's outpatient management by intravenous infusion or subcutaneous injection. I just had patients this morning have that done. That's an outpatient treatment. The other oral drugs that I've gone through on the program are all available as an outpatient generic or, or nearly free of charge. So COVID-19 is a home management issue and this issue of, oh, my loved one's in the hospital, it's nine times out of 10, that's too little, too late. It was like, what were you doing two weeks ago? Or what were you doing eight days ago? Come on. Mm -hmm. So people in the hospital, so we've actually had patients in the hospital and they get a step down in care. Meaning all the outpatient mm -hmm. oral drugs that are working, we just got to continue them, you know, including ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, prednisone, colchicine, the aspirin, the aniquin, they're actually discontinued in the hospital. Yeah. So hospital is a step down in care. Patients get worse. Family members know it. And they actually, believe it or not, they take the hospitals to court. They get mm -hmm. a court order and they force the hospital and the doctors to give ivermectin, to give full dose anticoagulation. They actually force them to start treating the patients. Since when has that ever happened? I can tell you the amount of malpractice, the amount of uh, shame and embarrassment on those hospitals and doctors is going to be enormous. You know, we have something in medicine called shared decision-making. That means we share in the decisions. We negotiate everything just by the fact that the hospitals stopped sharing the decisions with the patients and the family members. They are going to be absolutely destroyed in all the proceedings that go forward. Just, just stop. I, listen, I was just in a hospital the other day. We negotiate everything. I was in the clinic yesterday. We negotiate everything. This idea that COVID-19 management is non-negotiable and that patients can't get uh, what the family and, and the patients start to, you know, when they start to interact with the doctors, the patients are not asking for unreasonable things. They're asking for ivermectin, which is supported by over 60 clinical studies, over 30 randomized trials. It's safe and effective. They're asking for full dose aspirin, full dose anticoagulation. Do you know what some family members do? They actually sneak it into the hospital. They, they sneak it <laughs> yeah. in mm -hmm. patients' yeah. belongings. This is ridiculous. And you know, every time there's been one of these court orders, and the hospitals are ordered to give the patient ivermectin, then the senior 
And again, it's always seniors, not children. The senior who finally gets some decent treatment survives. And there's yeah. case after case of this. Do you know when the courts turned down the episode? We've had patients who died. Can you believe that? Mm. Where the family wow, has gone. There's a famous case in Central Texas, the Carroll case. This has been reviewed with Senator Bob Hall. And the family took the hospital to court and said, please give my family members some decent treatment. How about full-dose aspirin, full-dose anticoagulation, colchicine, ivermectin? They had a list of things they wanted to negotiate. The hospital said, we are not. They, and, the, and, and the lawyers told the judge, don't you dare try to uh, um, you know, practice medicine from the bench. The hospital prevailed. Two days later, the patient died. Oh. Let me tell you what, and this is a perfectly healthy 72-year-old woman who had a lot of years ahead of her. These cases like this, are going to be reviewed in the future. And I tell you, it's not going to look good for those doctors and hospitals that refuse to even do the simplest things. Yeah, I think that just so much of what we talked about today, you know, that in particular, like it's just so indicative of the fact that we're so far removed from science and this is all about ideology. It's about ideology and it's dangerous. We're in a dangerous place. And, you know? we're, and, and, and we're far away from compassion. These yeah. are mm -hmm. compassionate things. Do you know I have patients in the ICU and the family member says, well, you know, for pain, they really like this or for sleep. And we negotiate all these little things. Wait a minute. Where's the compassionate care where we, 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 we do what's called shared decision making? This is a mantra in medicine. It's what we're supposed to do every day. We share in the fiduciary relationship. I don't go railroad stuff on patients. I don't walk into the ICU and say, nope, it's my way or the highway. Are you mm -hmm. kidding me? That is so yeah. unacceptable. And so, you know, what we're seeing is here is 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 a new era. It's very dark, and uh, patients and family members can't be strong enough to demand care, to demand higher standards, and they need to be assertive. The support mechanisms are getting much better. I recommend American frontline nurses; they are the best. You know, going to the doctors, we're already too busy. I can't I can't take another panic call. They need to go to American frontline nurses. They have a chat box. They, the frontline nurses immediately get engaged. They start engaging with the nurses in the hospital and they are relentless until the patients start getting decent care. That's awesome. Well, I know when I when I had COVID, I reached out to American America's frontline doctors to get ivermectin. But I, th I think because they had just been on the high wire, they were so backed up that mm -hmm. after a week, they sent me an email and said, you know, we just didn't get to it if you want to resubmit your information. So, so that's good to have more options because uh, I, I think people are reaching out. Absolutely. Well, to, get, so to get drugs, you know, we have four national telemedicine services. We now have reached four, uh, 15 regional services. There is an entire list of treating doctors who basically respond 24 by 7. That's kept by the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. That, that organization is every bit as legitimate of, sure. as the AMA or the ACP or any other. So go to aapsonline.org, get the physician uh, uh, roster, download it, figure out the doctors in your area who basically are on call to do this. And you can use myfreedoctor.com, AmericanFrontlineDoc.com, FrontlineMDS. You can use the services, but if you don't get a response in an hour or two, move on because mm -hmm. people are busy. And so yeah. it's, it's like it's like being on hold, um, you know, at, a, at something when you're trying to buy something. You have to move on. Don't wait a week for your ivermectin. Don't wait two hours because really the impact is huge. Awesome. And uh, so, Dr. McCullough, I know we're kind of wrapping up here. Um, one of the things that I was hoping to have you do is like if you could speak directly to the hospital administrators, to the doctors that are out there that are refusing to treat patients, what would be your message to them? 
My message would be first drop the mandates, drop all vaccine mandates. The vaccines don't work well enough and they're not safe enough to mandate. Uh, nobody wants them. And at this point in time, the mandate should be dropped unequivocally. The second point I'd make is no more encouraging of vaccines. We need to be neutral on vaccines. We cannot have vaccine discrimination. If someone decides not to take the vaccine and they end up in the hospital with COVID, believe it or not, they've made a smarter choice because they've avoided vaccine-induced death and they've avoided vaccine-induced injury. A smarter choice would have been to forego on the vaccine for most individuals. Point number three is get in the game. Open up your outpatient treatment centers. Every hospital administrator ought to have a very robust outpatient COVID-19 treatment program. That means a clinic, that means a tent, that means doctors and nurses and physician assistants that are actively taking care of outpatients with COVID-19 and treating them appropriately with sequence multi-drug therapy and lead off with the monoclonals and use the other drugs in combination and make a call in a day or two and make sure people are adequately treated. Follow the published protocols. You know, you don't have to make this up. We've got published protocols uh, that are very, very effective and every single major hospital medical center ought to have an outpatient treatment program. On the inpatient side, my advice would be treat patients with all the outpatient drugs as you continue them in the hospital, like we do with every other condition, and then you can add things. You know, if you think barcetinimab or tocilizumab would make an impact, fine. Make sure all the inpatients get full dose anticoagulation. Make sure they're adequately hydrated. It's not that hard. This is not hard medicine. The administrators in ICU and infectious disease doctors can figure it out. They need to get up to speed. It's not there right now. The quality of care in the hospital is not what Americans deserve. It's not, and everybody knows it right now. And then, and then the last, the last point for the hospital administrators and the doctors is they need to let in the patient family members who are COVID recovered. They need full privileges in the hospital to see their loved ones. They can't get COVID-19 again. They are immune. Uh, we need to let them in. Let's, let's stop all this isolation and suffering. Our senior citizens have been terrorized by COVID-19, immediately letting COVID recovered patients and engage in shared decision-making. I don't wanna see another patient or patient family member get frustrated with hospital administration, ICU doctors, or infectious disease doctors who are not treating patients decently. Yeah, and I think that uh, just to add to that, I would say to all them too, like that that blood money you're getting from Pfizer, that blood money you're getting from the government is not worth the price of your soul and you will not get away with this. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. Well, Dr. McCullough, thank you so much thank for being here with so us today. Much, can definitely. you tell the listeners where they can listen, uh, get more uh, from you? Yeah, I, I put into two websites. One is America Out Loud Talk Radio, The McCullough Report. America Out Loud Talk Radio, The McCullough Report. Weekly updates, podcasts, important uh, handouts, uh, important uh, citations. Uh, there are question answer sessions now that are incredibly useful. You can get your questions answered there. And then go to truthforhealth.org, truthforhealth.org. It's got the uh, leading uh, treatment protocols. It's in close collaboration with the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. We have vaccine safety information, uh, important uh, videos, uh, information to share. Uh, and so it's probably the strongest patient advocacy site that you can find, truthforhealth.org. Those are the ones that I am directly involved with. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. McCullough. Thank you so, Thank you so very much. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Have a great day. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, bam. There you go. <laughs> that was, that was fun. Wow. Uh, he, knows, he knows his stuff. 
I'm like jotting notes because there's like at least four people who I know need to have like specific information, like in a specific order. And he just like, well, it sounds like the iodine. Uh, and I that, hope you wrote it like yes. just the mouthwash and the nose spray. I mean, I feel like I hadn't heard. I mean, I'd, I'd heard about the mouthwash before, but like, but specifically this iodine, like, I mean, that's just it. Just makes sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. Stuff makes sense. <laughs> well, that whole getting the nebulizer thing. Uh, there's a family that I know too. The family I believe where I get my milk. They were talking about having a nebulizer yeah. and how like they nebulize uh, the the silver, you know, sure, and they do yeah, that sure. just as Little part of their family. Yes, yeah. but um, doing it like this, and it seems like I've heard other people talk about that. I wonder where we can get a nebulizer just to I think have. You just ordered off off Amazon, I think. Because I used to think it was something that you could only get like prescribed from the doctor, I don't but think you so. can get a machine. Yeah. That would be a good investment in like having some of the, because it's not like he's saying, it's not like it's us per se. Like we do, like my family, we do the zinc, we do the quercetin, we do the, all these different things. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've been able to keep our immune systems robust, even though we've been around people who've been infected with the COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that that's a really big thing, but let's just say like, I know that um, like Kevin's uh, parents both got covid one's fully vaccinated one has taken no vaccines look they have horse nebulizers you can get, get a horse nebulizer so it could go with the ivermectin <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. it's horse like medicine 569 bucks for a horse nebulizer or just I, I wonder if they just made up the How horse nebulizer it? just so we can call it horse medicine you know <laughs> well you know what's interesting is that actually speaking of kevin's parents you know when um when they got sick they've been going to the same doctor for years and years and years for many different things they've never had a problem and when he got her on the phone after even knowing them for years and years in their care um, and he asked about ivermectin she just really they said that she'd never been sarcastic and never been rude in all of their time and she goes well yeah you can go get that at the feed store that's for horses oh really that's oh, what really? she's tra- and that, you need yeah. to listen to the truth of a podcast and learn something. <laughs> and, and that's, but that's what i think that um maybe i i think he is maybe a little bit more hopeful than i am because my experience with going to the hospital like they're not offering any of this so maybe it's just yeah. our well, part of the country well i think because he's in texas yeah. i was yeah, gonna say because they will they will tell you sure. here you Jealous. can't have it jealous <laughs> um and i was thinking too like we have doctors here like he's saying well doctors can't do this they can't you know encourage you to have vaccines well i just posted something i'm sure you guys saw it the other day there's a doctor in salem is it the uh the diabetes center yeah, yeah. they're refusing and treatment. they're refusing treatment to yeah. an autistic kid yep. because he's not vaccinated yep. like how is this not coercion and then and I would say, like, out of anybody that probably shouldn't be getting in, it would be people who are already vaccine injured, like autistic. Kids. Yeah, like, absolutely. Oh God, That's terrifying. How yeah. terrifying. Yeah, yeah you can get nebulizers on Amazon. There are all kinds of them, guys. Like, yeah, not just horse ones. But and, and I'll just I'll just throw out a, a quick promotion. <laughs> like, I ordered, uh, you know, the Zaverdo, I believe is the name Zaverdo kit, which is it's mm. blister packs. You were telling me from, about that. I need to get India, that. Okay. Which Did it is, come yet? Which, uh, it has not arrived. Okay. So I, maybe follow up with me to make sure that they come in the mail because okay. uh, I think they're in customs right. Now, did, so you worried, you have, right? but, did you say you have? Did you say you had extra that I that maybe I could well, buy some well, of those we'll packs? We'll okay, see. we can we'll we can see. show you guys how um, to order it. But you know, I, I I just followed no agenda, no agenda. Yeah. I just looked in their okay. show notes and in order and ordered it. But it's it's really if you look up Zaverdo kit, like you'll find it. Okay, so I got you. Google it, but it's it's uh, ivermectin, uh, doxycycline, and and zinc. Okay. So, right. It's, mm-hmm. But it's just a combo pack, and it's for those people, like the the people in my family that are elderly that mm-hmm. um, have maybe already taken this vaccine, but don't realize that they're completely susceptible to getting this. Yeah. And you know, and then aren't going to do the things that we're going to do. They're not going to um, be taking their vitamin D regularly. They're not going to be taking their vitamin C, their quercetin, you know, their NAC, like all these things, and and trying to eat right. And you know, because it's hard. Because also at this point in their lives, like they've been taught this whole narrative, just like we were all taught a certain narrative, right? That we are healthy, just you know 
know, we eat our toast and our eggs in the morning. We make sure that we have our apple and our lunch, you know, and, and over time, especially the elderly generation, you know, when they were very young, they were getting a lot of nutrients from their food and a lot of nutrients sure. from their soil. And what's happened to our food system in their exactly. lifetime has changed, but the information has been hidden from each generation subsequently. And so but, it's and not most like of the people in that generation though are on uh, several different prescription drugs, which right. are weakening their immune Already, system right, correct. right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of in that model, right? So I, I got it, not for me, for someone who like wants to take care of their health, but for someone who has, has really invested in that model. Right. 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 So, um, so I'm going to have those on hand for my, for my close loved ones my, my and parents and yeah. people that I, I, I don't want to see them suffer from this. Even right. like, I know, I think it, we get divided sometimes like, well, you made this choice to do that. And like, no, I don't want anybody to be harmed. Right. Absolutely. I want, I want everybody to make it through this. And, you know, um, and we've been saying that too, more and more that, you know, as much as we've been terrified and stressed and worried about all of this and the mandates and how it affects all of us and our liberties and all that. But when we keep getting deeper and deeper into the core of this, we've said over and over, there are people being harmed one, because they're not being treated when they're ill. And two, because, um, they're, they're just every, everything is against anybody who's sick. All the information is against them. And what we want to do, even if someone's taken a vaccine, whether they've taken it or not, no matter what, we want answers for people and people who listen to like our listeners, they want answers. They don't want to just hear the doom and gloom. They don't want to hear that everyone who's vaccine and uh, taking the vaccine is going to end up injured or dead. Like that's not a hopeful narrative and yeah. it's not a true narrative. And so we do need to have those other avenues. We do need to have these therapeutics. We do need to have these helpful quote unquote lifelines and these, you know, helpful, even emotional um, connective soul lines for people to glean onto. Okay. It's not over for me or okay. There is something that the media has keep, kept from me. There is something the hospital would not give to me, but Hey, look, my family member cared enough to do, you know, 20 minutes worth of research and have a few packs of vitamins at the house sure, for me. Sure. And maybe like Megan is going to go buy a nebulizer as soon as we log off of this. <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. And it's, you know, I think that there, you know, the, the whole world isn't able to invest in their own health to the point where we're going to just remove prescription drugs as the answer. Right. Right. So, so I, and I think, I mean, for me, when I had COVID, I tried to get ivermectin because it was worse than I thought. Right. Right. Like I, and so I, uh, you know, I, sometimes I feel like I straddle lines a little bit, you know, like there is the part of me that's, um, you know, like that wants to just see the whole allopathic model, like just call it out for not really working, but it is working for some people, right? Like, and if you've invested and you believe in it, just like Alex X said, like if, if you believe that, like the power of belief is so big anyways, right? Right, So, um, so we need to have those options as well. And the other side of me, you know, like I, I I just want to have these options. I want to have all the options available. Just like I say, you know, um, I want to fight this all on all fronts. Like, like I want to build a new community that's better than this dying world. But at the same time, if there are people fighting these cases in the courts, I support them 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. So. And it's, and it's just not, it's like we say over and over, like each, we're all part of a body of humanity. And so each one of us has a different part, part to play. So we're not necessarily the ones that are going to be standing and, you know, bringing these, you know, lawsuits against the hospitals and all these things, but we are behind and support people that do that. But we all have a different part to play. And I think that that's important when we're fighting this war against us, be it from the government, pharma, new world order, the elites, whoever you want to say our enemy is, the predator classes and how they're using our local institutions and our local governments against us. But at the end of the day, it's that collective humanity. It's that shared information. It's that non-censorship that they keep trying to take from us that helps us to elevate one another and helps us to give each other like, you know, he's told us several websites that people can go to, two of them that I had never even heard of. And this is more and more resources. And each time, like I was thinking, too, like maybe we can get a new business card where we just like print 
all of these places that people can go. Like we can put Truzilla on there, yeah, but yeah. then put like yeah. you know these other places. Like hey, if you are you know pre symptomatic, if you are symptomatic, these are the different treatments and protocols that Truzilla uses. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're not doctors, but this is what we use. Yeah, we so, can put it on our website. Put it on our website. Yeah. We, should. Yeah. Yeah. we should. Yeah, the therapeutics. Let's yeah. do it. Let's, Let's do that. Will, Good idea. That Resource sure. list on the website. Resource list. Yeah. 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 Boom. Bam. But anyways, what a well-spoken, knowledgeable man that we mm-hmm. spoke with. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty incredible. Um, obviously, um, I think we probably don't agree with him 100% on like uh, the previous vaccine schedule. But, uh, well, you know what? Also, too, I was thinking it was really telling how he said, well, we've never seen anybody protesting about other vaccines. And I think that, I, I mean, obviously we have. <laughs> have. We know that there's many, many thousands of people that have protested against vaccines because their children have been killed or injured for decades like we we know that's happening but that just goes to show that even somebody who's in the thick and the heart of the medical profession who's doing a good work that the truth is even hidden from him and that shows the level of censorship that shows how deeply diabolical the vaccine program is that they've hidden it from their own doctors mm-hmm. that p- these people really don't know and they're not aware of the strife and the struggle because obviously we know there are plenty of parents and plenty of even doctors and attorneys who have fought against and protested against all the different vaccines and for many different reasons. And by and large, it's because they do cause harm. They do cause death. There's not informed consent happening at the very, very least. And it's, uh, it's, it's an issue. It's a big issue. And, but I would say, you know, and the reason, uh, why everyone, no matter where you stand, should stand up against this one is is it's the VAERS data. The VAERS data mm-hmm. it shows that this vaccine in eight months uh, exceeded the the data from the thirty plus years of data we had on all the other vaccines. So right. there was literally more death, more destruction from this vaccine in eight months than thirty years of the whole mm. vaccine schedule. Way more exponentially, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just so it's off the charts. So literally, it is, um, so and the way they're reporting to every VAERS. one of us should be standing like this. This vaccine should have never even been up for approval like right. he said in february it should have been pulled right, right. so um so that, you know. well and what was kevin jenkins saying after five deaths ten it should have been pulled from the market right the black box warning that goes into Ely, effect do- I think it was Ely, Ely, dr. 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 Ely. dr ely okay yeah. yeah sorry dr ely pardon me it's all good if you heard this sir <laughs> but, <laughs> we'll talk to you about it next okay. week yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. anyways yeah wow what a really well, powerful interview yeah, i'm really great. excited for this to come out because i can't wait to share it yeah. Like I have like eight people in my mind. Oh, yeah. Okay, this person, this person. Oh, my folks will definitely be listening. To this but it's and it's just like uh, the interview that we just did yesterday. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Just so easy to digest, so articulate. The mm-hmm. information is very, very present, and there's able to speak on the facts and the protocols and the therapeutics without it becoming even though i'm sure it's very personal it's very personal all of us but sometimes i think when you take that emotion out of it people can also not feel affected by the information one way or the other they can feel like okay i'm getting information that i can digest and i can make my own decision based on that so i really appreciate that delivery too yep Awesome, guys. 100%. Holy cow. Well, everybody, that was Dr. Peter McCullough. We were really, really excited to talk to him. We've been waiting yeah. for a long while, getting everyone's schedules worked out to make this happen. So um, please go and find him. Utilize all of the resources that uh, he mentioned. Let's see, truthforhealth.org and American Out Loud, the McCullough Report. Yeah, you guys, a great show. McCullough Report's a great yeah, show. Definitely, yeah, yeah. definitely. So, uh, yeah, guys, we are recording on a Friday morning, an early Friday morning. And uh, so, uh, work. 
Yeah, I, call, gonna... I, I called it a bomb threat at Ed's work for him to get out of here. No, no, that wasn't that wasn't, Ed. That, that, wasn't was the plan. Scott. that was the plan. If he wasn't going to be able to get out of work, I was going to Scott's call it a bomb kidding. Threat. Yeah, Scott's one hundred percent kidding. But we just joked about it. <laughs> Anyways, everybody, thank you so much for your continued support and encouragement. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Share this. Uh, episode with everybody heck yeah this episode if you're not already sharing our episodes with everyone this is the one there you go i'm megan sitting with my good friends scott and ed we wish all of you intellectual prosperity good night good morning